0: Before we begin,
1: a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade & Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Amy, it is so great to see you. It's been so long. It's been at least two weeks since I've seen you. How are you, darling?
0: I'm doing well, Justin. I do, I, I feel like my life is sort of structured around our, our visits now. And so um, when we go this long, I just, my heart starts longing for you. It
1: makes my heart go pitter-patter to know that I've added structure to your life because as you know, structure is <laughs> my favorite thing in the world, so.
0: <laughs> and, and holy cow, this is a business that can be very unstructured. So thank you for providing a little a bit of stability for it me. It <laughs> is
1: like that. It's almost like we have to like imply this fault structure on top of it to make it feel like we have some semblance of control because
0: oh my real estate is
1: there is no control. It's very much like we are at the whim of the market and our clients Yes, so of often. everything. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh,
0: you know, Justin, I am representing buyers on a transaction. The seller's agent and I were talking and I walked into the listing and was like, oh, I smell Spade and Archer, which is, you know, <laughs> it was quickly it's, confirmed. It's it smells like red
1: hot some desperation in there yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that wasn't exactly what i was saying but anyway i i was chatting with the agent and i was like oh i you know love me some spade and archer and he was like oh yes and he sort of started gushing about the online system that you oh, the now instant have. Tool? yeah yeah where you can plug in and he was just sort of going on about how he felt like he'd used you guys for a while and then maybe not for a minute and then was like totally committed again and i he was really raving about the system you have in place now and It just made me think, like as a newer person in this field, not having known your previous iterations of systems for business, I'm a little bit curious. Like, how has this evolved? Like, I mean, I know where you are now because I've only used instant pricing. What were you doing before? Like, can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, in every business, there's build and there's save. So you're either in build mode or you're in save mode. So your coffers are empty, and you're saving a bunch of money and trying to like put money into your coffers. And when the coffers are full, then you you go through this experience where like you build where you spend all your money and you and you go to the next level and instant pricing for us was very much like a next level thing we like we dove in head first and like tried to create it now before instant pricing existed it's like in the in the beginning somebody would call us we had a website, but it didn't do anything. It was just like, you know, here's a, it was a portfolio website. We're here. This is pretty, yeah. yeah. Here's here's where you can find our phone number. So somebody would call us and we would look at our appointment schedule and we would make an appointment to meet them out at their house. And we would go out, we would look at the house. It would take probably two or three days to even get us out there in the first place, maybe a week or more. We would go out there, we would look at the house and we would take photographs of it. And then within 24 hours or so, we would put together like an Excel spreadsheet and email it over to them and show them what the pricing was after we like custom built this beautiful pricing for each and every house completely different off of each other and if they liked that pricing then they would call us and say okay we want to move forward and maybe this was two or three months later so we'd be like no idea what the, heck the house looked like so we'd go back and we pull open the pictures and we would draw a floor plan based on what we thought it looked like and like very confused very like maybe it was this way maybe it wasn't so we bring a bunch of extra stuff with us and then we get a signed contract um, and it used to be that they had to like sign the contract and scan it and email it back to us now we just use docusign for everything right because we were 13 years old like Technology has changed. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, so much.
1: So then they would sign the contract, they'd send it back to us, they would mail us a check. And so we would wait (laughs) for like a week or two to get the check and sometimes it would show up and sometimes it wouldn't. So like the process of going from like having your very first initial thought that I wanna do some home staging to the point where we actually had an appointment on your calendar was like upwards of a month or more. It would take to Mm -hmm. like get it going and get it ready. Then it would be two to three weeks before we actually got your house staged. So you're looking at like probably a six-week turnaround from the time wow. you thought about doing home staging to when you actually did it. We now have it down to the point where you can get a price in four minutes off of our website, you can reserve a date within an hour or so you can book that date and pay us a deposit or pay us for the actual project itself. I think our fastest project to date from the time that they called to the time we had a signed contract, and we had already deposited the payments was about three and a half hours. So we took a six week process and we brought it down to three and a half hours. So you can do it that fast if you really want to. And like, we don't even have people mail us checks anymore. They take a picture of the check and send it to us and we deposit off the picture of the check. Because like, you know, all deposits are mobile deposits, you deposit on your phone. So like all of it is so much faster than it used to be. And what we found is that real estate agents just don't have a tolerance for waiting for things for that long. And so we (laughs) still keep our lead times about two weeks out because that's what keeps us busy. So we don't have like dead times, but you can even grab an express project which is a little bit more expensive but we'll do it for you faster well you can grab an express project and we can get stuff installed in a week if you're willing to pay the premium now that being said i had a person call us and i was like well our next available appointment is three weeks from now but we can get you in this week if you want to do express and she was like well what are you going to do extra like what's going to be nicer about it i'm like nothing nicer just faster she's like well i'm not going to pay for that
0: that is not a match made in heaven right i
1: want (laughs) to sit in first class but i want to pay for a coach ticket doesn't work that way, sweetheart. Get your ass back in coach. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you just keep some spots aside for that. I know there are occasions where people are just like, oh my God, I need this right now. I don't care what it costs. It has to happen. It has to happen. Yeah. And then I'm sure that it causes you all the shuffle. and Yeah, you know, there are crazy
1: boom. weird formulas that we follow that make it so that we know exactly which day is an express day and which, way is not, which day is not an express day. And it's based on how fast we are booking. All of it is based on what we call a dynamic pricing model. So you know how you can go and you try to buy an airplane ticket. It's Monday and you're going to buy an airplane ticket for two months from now. And you go on Mm -hmm. and it's $233. And then you go back and you talk to your wife and you're like, it's $233 we could fly three months from now. And she's like, great, that's a great idea. And you go back on an hour and a half later and it's now $600. And you're like, what the hell happened? Well, what the hell happened is that a bunch of people bought tickets. As they start selling tickets, they raise those prices. Well, it's the same thing for us. If it's the middle of December and we have no work, our prices are going to be super low. If it's the middle of June and we are busy as like a a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, then we are, it's gonna be more expensive.
0: I mean, that was not the model you had in the beginning. Like, what? how did you decide that dynamic pricing was the way to go? Like, where did that spring from?
1: I would love to tell you that that was me. We have a business consultant, his name is Gower Idris. And the guy is a serial entrepreneur. I think he has owned and sold eight companies. Now his whole job is to help people sell their companies. He is a business genius. I agreed to pay him an obscene amount of money to talk to me. And he said, you are never going to be able to grow because you haven't productized your service. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And he's like, to productize Mm. your service is to take your service and to put it into a package and put it on a shelf and make it so that nobody has to speak to anybody. They just go in and they just grab your product off the shelf and they know exactly how much it costs. They walk to the cash register and they buy it. And so all of this has been an effort to make it so that if people want to have human connection with us, they certainly can. But if they don't, you could literally do our entire process, I mean, we're gonna meet Michael Kafori in a few minutes. He's back in the green room. I have never met him before and we've done probably 16 transactions together. Oh wow. I never talked to him on the phone once until two days ago we did a pre-interview for this podcast. It was the first time I've ever spoken to him on the phone before. So wow. like we completely productized our business. We made we took it from being a service to being a product. And for 90% of our clients, that works really well. I tend to find that if yeah. somebody is over 70 years old, they're not big on clicking pointing, clicking, buying, they want, they want somebody on the phone <laughs> they want with this. them and you can totally do that. We can, you can call us and we'll run the machine for you. But our Gen Xers are millennials and our Gen Y yeah. or Gen Z. They don't want anything to do with the phone. They're terrified of the phone. They're like, that is a giant waste of time.
0: Yeah. Middle of the night. I want my pricing. I want to work on it when I want to work on It doesn't matter if you're in the office or not. Yeah. I just want to take care of it. I yep.
1: cannot tell you how many yeah. pricings that we receive at four o'clock in the morning. like were you up (laughs) late or did you wake up really early i don't know it happens a lot
0: oh that's so interesting yeah so that's really revolutionized things that makes sense to me yeah Yeah.
1: it was very different because before you used to have a site visit first and then you'd get a price off of it and we had to reteach all of our clients now you get a price and if you like the price, then we'll come to a site visit. It just so happens that instant pricing was launched the Monday after we locked down for COVID. And so we launched instant pricing. We changed the entire marketing model and we didn't call it instant pricing. We called it touchless pricing because remember in the beginning of COVID, it wasn't about yes. masks. It was about <laughs> touching surfaces. Touch. Yeah, We rebranded and remarketed the whole thing in about 48 hours to go from it being this instant fast thing to it being this safe people adopted it really, really fast. And so we used COVID as this terrible slingshot to help our business model. Again, I mean, if you look back, it's a opportunity, right? There was this whole bunch of, of terrible and we're like, well, what do we have at our resources? What can we do to help this? Well, here's this instant pricing tool that we're about to launch. Let's give that a try and see what the hell happens. So yeah, good, good timing for us. Even
0: if you had it laid out anyway, like it's just speaks to the ability of your business to adapt. Like that's what it's about.
1: Like when we were one office with 12 people, I always talk about businesses in terms of Watercraft. We were a jet ski. Like if we needed to make a, a change, you just boom. You just make a change. You're you're a jet ski. You're really fast. You look at somebody like a Target or Walmart or Disney. Their cruise ships to make any kind of a turn, fifty people have to be involved to make a turn to the left or to the right. We're not exactly a jet ski anymore. We are now three offices in three different states with twenty. Seven employees. We're now like a speedboat with a water skier behind us. (laughs) There has to be some communication going on, you know? So it's a little bit harder to make those quick turns than it used to be. As far as innovation goes, my goal is to do this every week. I want my business to be slightly better than it was last week. And if Mm. I can hit that goal, even if it's just like creating a better template or finding Um, a better process for us to send our podcast files to our editor if we can just find like just a slightly better process than we were doing before and a vast majority of those processes the best of those improvements come from us making a mistake from us sticking our foot in our mouth or tripping or falling down every time we make a mistake that is a chance for us to look at our process and go how could we do this better so that we don't make that same Mm -hmm. mistake again as a business owner That is my weekly reward. I don't get to put furniture in houses anymore. At the end of the day, when you put furniture in a house and you walk through this like ugly, cold, impersonal home that was there at eight eight o'clock that morning and you're walking out at four o'clock that evening and it's fully furnished and it looks so beautiful and it goes so well together, that is extremely rewarding on a daily basis as a designer. I don't get that reward anymore. My reward now is like, how do we improve our business this week? And that is like, I am such a junkie for that. I am addicted to improvement.
0: <laughs> so satisfying. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, we just had the basketball court installed in the green room. And we did put out Ooh. that we, we put out an invitation to basically the entire NBA that we were hosting a, a podcast event today. We should go back there and we should see who arrived because Michael Kafori is back there. I know he loves basketball as well. So we should see who who actually showed up. What do you think?
0: I can't wait. Okay. I can't wait.
1: I'll be right back with him. <laughs> Amy, look who I just found in the room! It's Michael Kofori. Can you believe this guy? Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. I was just
2: hanging out with uh, LeBron James back there, Shaquille O'Neal. We were having a great time chatting it up. Uh, but they said, you know, you got to go talk to Justin and these great ladies. So I said I'd come out here and, uh, <laughs> and talk
1: to you guys a little bit.
0: There is quite a crew back there today.
1: <laughs> How tall are you? I'm 5'11". 5'11". Yeah. So you tower over me, of course, because <laughs> I'm a whopping like 5'7 3 quarters, but I say 5'8". <laughs> um, and so when you're back there with Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, and LeBron James, I'm like, these guys are gigantic. So even though you look huge to me, like next to them, like you kind of, you Oh, know,
2: uh, they offered me a piggyback coach, yeah. ride and I was dunking on the basket. So, you know, it was great. We just had
1: those hoops installed last week. And so we were really lucky to have the, yeah. the new basketball court in the green room, It's <laughs> been great. Just
0: in time. Just in time. <laughs>
2: totally. No, it was perfect. It
1: was, I haven't, I've never dunked before. So it was a great feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. Just so you know, they, they, they are three-quarters of an inch below regulation, so I you know. may be able to dunk here, but maybe not somewhere else. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Good to know. All right. Well, <laughs> you just took all my thunder. <laughs> Thanks. <Justin.
0: laughs> Wind out of the sails. <laughs> Come on, Justin. <laughs> have you met Amy
1: Rongberg yet? She's with Windermere. I'm with Urban Nest Realty. You guys will do a transaction soon enough, I'm sure. And you yeah. know Nicole Durkin, who's our producer, so fantastic.
0: So nice to meet you, Michael.
1: Absolutely. Let's jump into it. Michael, how long have you been doing real estate?
2: So a little under three years. I'll be at the three-year mark uh, this October. So not too long, but just long enough to have some good transactions and some bad transactions. So, <laughs> Do you remember the day? Distinctly, uh, we had a 9 a.m. meeting on Monday. Uh, and I came in and one of one of our team members, who I won't name, uh, came in and he sat down. He was 15 minutes late. And he said, uh, are we really gonna have 9 a.m. meetings every Monday? And that's how my real estate career got started.
1: Tell us about you, man. Like, where did you grow up? How did you end up in real estate? Like, give us the story. Like, how did it go?
2: So I'm from Portland, Oregon. I was born and raised here. Uh, grew up in the Irvington neighborhood. Started on 14th and not. Uh, My family moved over to 18th and Tillamook. I went to Irvington grade school. I went to the Environmental Middle School, which is now Sunnyside School. I went to Cleveland High School, graduated '06. Uh, and I went to Portland State University, where I got my master's degree, or excuse me, my bachelor's degree in uh, political science and minored in law and legal studies in 2012. And uh, the plan was to become a lawyer. Uh, that was what my dad does. It's what my brother does. So I was you've going down. Got the it path. everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you were kinda, just like... it was
2: all around me. And I watched yes. a lot of lawyer movies and shows growing <laughs> up. You know, I'm sure you guys have. And I was all fired up about going to the courtroom and winning big cases and you know fighting the man and all that. But really, it's just a lot of review, a lot of paper work, you know, and uh, it, it, a lot of bringing in info from other cases and whatnot. It wasn't it was it wasn't a great fit for me, I found out. I worked with my dad for about two years, two and a half years at his firm uh, doing paralegal work and uh, a couple other things. And studying for the LSAT at the same time, I had kind of a reckoning. My tutor I had, and he was like, you really don't like doing this. And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, you're really going to hate law school and you're probably going to hate your job. And I said, "Yeah, I think you're right."
0: What a so gift! I, <laughs> what yeah, a gift. It, it was.
2: It really was. It, it was. Yeah. It was a good. And I listened. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't think I knew more than than the guy that was telling me how to do what I was doing. So I uh, I was coachable in that moment. I, I worked in the political world for a little bit. I worked for a guy named Brent Barton, who's a great attorney and was a great politician. I worked with him a couple times, uh, running for state senate when uh, he worked down in Salem. I went and worked with him down there. Uh, so I I, I was kind of back and forth with him. I worked with my brother. We we focused heavily on campaign finance reform. And I worked on a few different campaigns of his, which we passed, I believe, 88% in the county. And then I think another 87% in the city passed it a couple of years ago. So uh, we've been working on that for a while. And then I, I went to Asia. I went to Southeast Asia for two months. I, I had a great time, but I had another reckoning where I realized I needed to have a little bit more done to my life and I needed more focus and needed to be more accomplished. And I came back looking for more. And the first couple of weeks I got back, I got offered the job to coach uh, basketball at Grant High School, which was my neighborhood school and which. Was an awesome opportunity, and I, I took that. And then about a year later, a good friend of mine who had been doing real estate for about seven years was looking to grow a team, and he he said I'd be great for it. I had the personality, knowledge, the the connections being from Portland, uh, and it would be a natural fit. So I I just jumped in. I, I took all the classes, did the 150 hours, took my tests, jumped right in. Yeah, I it started there, and I, I did a lot of volume my first year, year and a half, um, and then I decided to go out on my own and be an individual solo agent, and I did that about a year ago, and that's when and I joined Urban Nest. So I was at Think Real Estate to start, uh, and now I'm at Urban Nest Realty, and I love it. I've had a great time. It came with a recommendation from an old friend of mine who I'd known from high school, um, who who worked at the company, and she loved it. And when when Claire was like, "Yeah, you should talk to the to Rachel and Holly and Karen," and I did, and uh, it was a natural fit. I've been there ever since. They're the owners. Of- yeah. Urban Nest, right? Correct. Yeah, Rachel, Rachel, and Holly own the company, and then uh, Karen is the managing principal broker. She actually trained them when they got into real estate, and then they, you know, Circle of Life ended up hiring her to be their managing principal broker. So,
0: (laughs) I love it. Like you got recruited into real estate. That's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) your your friend was uh, like, "Hey." Yeah,
2: I didn't. I guess it's kind of common for that to happen these days. But everyone's looking to grow teams and bring in people and all that, and. I had a
1: great opportunity, and so I I took it, and it was awesome. Here's the difference though. Lots of people are recruited into real estate, and some people make it. Some people do okay, and others people just flipping kill it. And I mean, dude, I think like about ten minutes before we had jumped into this podcast, I think you just made an appointment with us this morning. Like you did yeah. another one. Yeah. I mean, this guy, Amy, you're doing great. Don't get me wrong, but like this dude has like you have got so many deals going around now. How many houses have you listed in just in just 2021? And we're in August. Oh, How many Lord. houses have you listed uh, so far?
2: I'm not sure. Um, a lot listed. I've sold about. I I, I know I'm I'm about at uh, over twenty at this point for the year. Or so yeah, it's kind of the numbers in a while. But yeah, it's it's been it's been moving fast. Almost all by
1: referral too, which has been awesome. And both of you are my favorite kind of real estate agent that you're like, oh, we're going to list a house and we got to call our home stager. Like, if, uh, if only I could get the entire industry to do that, it would make me so happy. Okay, so a lot of times when we are dealing with real estate agents, they think of themselves as a lawyer. Like, they think of themselves as like, well, my job is to represent my client and get, get what they want to have done. And we have to make sure that they have their stuff and I have to do that we find that a lot of times those real estate agents end up burning out pretty quick. And the ones who last are the ones that understand that their client is not the person that is paying them. The client is the deal. Their job is to get the deal done. And so how has that been in transitions for you? Because I mean, you're coming from a long line of lawyers, like everybody around you is represent my client. How was that mindset change? How did that click for you? How did you? Great question.
2: You know, I I think that when you go to a lawyer, There's like an understanding that I don't know what I'm doing. This person knows what they're doing. I need to go listen to this person because they went to school for three years and this, that, and the other. And how's you know? When you go to a real estate agent, I think there's this side that people kind of think they know what they're doing. They really try and play that, and and you go back and forth with trying to convince people, uh, also telling people what's what the truth and what you think is going to happen in your professional opinion and just kind of letting people see. Sometimes you've got to let them see what their decisions will lead to and then kind of go from there, especially on the buyer side when they want to make offers that aren't very aggressive and they don't understand the market. And you have to have that educational session with them to go over them uh, with them, you know, how, how this works. And a lot of the times they're not, especially if you're meeting somebody cold, maybe it's a Zillow lead you just met or someone you met online and they don't have any trust built or any rapport. And you're telling them right off the bat you're going to have to pay a hundred thousand dollars over asking to get this house. <laughs> most people aren't going to yeah. believe you right off the bat, and they're going to they're going to argue with you about it, and they're 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 going to think that you're just a greedy realtor. And you kind of have to let people you know go through the process a few times to see. Oh, wow, actually, five uh, to ten percent over list price is normal uh, right now in this market <laughs> uh, to be making offers and whatnot. So um, after after they lost their third house, yeah. after they That's lost they their third that. house, yes, yeah. Yes, and yes. there's this mm-hmm. balance. Like you you can say, hey, look, do what I say or else, but you're going to lose the client most of the time. Because because p- people n- need to see it too, you know? And I think um, you can bring all the statistics, you know, all the data, all the RMLS data, all your experience. But I think there's always a, with people when they're when they're selling something that's so important and it's them, it's what they're selling that they own, that they've put so much time into that they're going to be buying and putting so much money into. They want to have, you know, the input and they want to make the decision. And, and I can't make the decision for them. You know, as a stager, you can't make it for them. You know, Justin, you've got to just kind of roll no. with it sometimes. And uh, I think that that was the biggest difference for me was seeing people come into my dad's office and have him yell at them for 30 minutes about what they're going to do and they do it. <laughs> so me having to have like very long handheld conversations with people to still sometimes see them make the other decision, but you just got to roll with it. They're the boss.
0: My business has also been mostly referral and holy cow, what a difference. Like when you walk into that conversation with somebody who already kind of trusts you, even if they're a referral, they don't know you directly, but so-and-so says you're awesome. You're walking in, they're listening to you say that it's like such a different Thing than the coming in cold, like you said, where could you, not agree uh, more. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely. just having totally different kinds of conversations.
1: Absolutely, there's also a really big difference in the way that real estate agents bill. So when you're going and you talk to your lawyer, he's charging you four hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and if you choose to sit there and argue with him for an hour, you just paid him four hundred fifty bucks for him <laughs> to just fight with you, and he's yeah. trained. He's literally trained to fight; like yeah. he's going to win. Yeah. With a real estate agent, it's really hard for our clients to understand our value because they never really sit down and like write a check and be like, Michael Cofori, I'm paying him you know, $6,000 yeah. to list this house. They never do that. They never really feel it. In fact, your fees are buried in a long list yeah. of documents that somewhere in there, it shows what you paid it. I bet you that if you surveyed 100 house sellers or house buyers and said, how much did you pay a real estate agent? I would probably find one or two of them that actually knows what it was. They might Know the percentage, but very few of them understand what the actual number is, and because of that, I don't think they truly understand your value because they don't understand your price. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, I and I, so you spend a yeah. lot
1: of time trying to like pull them along.
2: Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's 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 a lot more therapy and handholding. It's really not sales at all. Uh, (laughs) And I've done sales. I've done you know cold call sales, all that stuff. It's not that's not fun. That's that's something I'd never want to do again. Therapy. This is a different world that I'm in now. But uh,
1: I I actually enjoy it. So what Amy's not hasn't told you that she came from a background of doing social work at the VA, and so she went from one therapy job to another (laughs) therapy job. Uh, Which one's harder, Amy?
0: This one is just so much better. This one is like I'll take this any day. I mean, wait. Way different, right? Way different. Totally. Uh, this is much more
1: fun. Michael, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned so far in real estate in these these almost three years you've been doing it? I mean, I think that d- don't be an expert in something you're not an
2: expert in, and I Ooh, think I've learned that good. the hard
1: way for sure. Tell us about how you yes. learned it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you
2: exactly. I uh, one of my very first times I went out with a client without anybody else. It was just me and two clients, and they weren't actually my clients. They were they were Winston's clients, and it was one of the first times I got out with them. First First time home buyers didn't know a thing. Uh, and I'm, you know, hadn't bought a house myself either. I'm learning this whole process from start. To, I didn't know anything about loans. I
1: didn't know anything you, were about you working? Were you working under Winston at this point? Yeah, that- I
2: was I was a buyer's agent on a team. I, I didn't have any clients. I had not worked with any clients. I had only taken phone calls at this point for the most part. And I had been going out kind of with him learning how to go out with clients, how to you know talk about houses. One thing we, we learned was unpacking houses isn't, isn't about selling the house. It's really about finding the issues with the house and pointing those out first and kind of un- helping people understand what you might be dealing with with these older homes. And I decided after listening to like the quintessential pro at doing that for seven years who knew everything that I was going to be that guy on that day. So here I am talking about things I really didn't know that much about. And we got to a point where we got to the basement or we got into the tuck under garage and there was a massive crack in the ground. And they looked at me right up, you know, frankly and said, how much does that cost? And I looked at it and I just started running numbers in my head based on some things I'd kind of seen. And I just... Blurted out, oh, probably between 25 to 50,000 would be my guess, uh, which is a huge number uh, and probably had no bearing on what it would actually cost <laughs> to fix. Uh, so then their next questions inevitably led to, well, you know, could we use that negotiation to get the price down on the house and could we get that fixed prior to closing and things like that? So I started going off on this tangent with them because, you know, here I am, the, the expert, just kind of nervous and shaking in my shoes. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we can get a price reduction, yada, yada, yada. This house has been on the market for For two days in a red hot
1: neighborhood, (laughs) it's listed at like (laughs) you know three fifty. But
0: you'd already gotten a price reduction. You were and I already gotten a
2: price reduction
1: for him. So yeah, so I got a a giant can of worms that is fully open at this point. To Winston's
2: (laughs) credit, he was so cool about it. He called me afterwards and was like, "Man, uh, you really messed that one up." Uh, I had to have a long talk with him, but I get it. You know, just don't don't delve into things you're not an expert in. You know, especially right off the bat. And it's so much better. I I just I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a title expert. I'm not a, a property surveyor. I'm not a contractor. <laughs> uh, I should not be giving you quotes for numbers. I you know, I can give you based on my experience what I think things might cost, but don't pigeonhole
1: yourself and don't do things like that. For our listeners, so now I come to you and I'm like, hey, there's a big crack in my wall behind me. What's that going to cost? What's your answer now?
2: I, I say, I'm going to get my guy on that and I'm going to get you a number here in about 24 hours, maybe 48 if you say. <laughs> yes, and, yes. and then I work on it from there. So. That
0: is such a good story. I feel like what a way to learn it. Like you were just in it, you were doing it, you were like, couldn't couldn't pull yourself out of it at that point okay never doing that again <laughs> that's Absolutely. what happens no, when you do it that scared
2: scared the heck out of me yeah. and yeah and I, I luckily it wasn't someone like my dad who found that out cuz he would He would have written me a new one for about the rest of my life. So
1: the second half of that answer is I'm going to find out for you. I'm going to get you an answer in 24 hours is that we must follow up in 24 hours. Even if we don't have the answer yet, we call them within a day and we say, Hey, I got my guy out there. He's working on it. He's going to have his estimate. He told me he'd have it over to me by Tuesday. And then you got to call him on Tuesday and be like, I'm going to have it this afternoon. And then we have to actually send it. And so if we're making promises, our value is that we have to follow up. It doesn't matter what you say. If you say you're going to get back to them, you have to get back to them. That's the tough part about real estate, right? Is Absolutely. That always doing what you say you're going to do. Oh, you know? I, I have my
2: calendar full of follow-up appointment dates. Uh, it, you have to, because you'll forget. And then guess what? Yeah. And that,
1: now you're not getting the referral. You're not doing good service. You're hurting your client. It's just, we teach our clients the stories they're going to tell about us. And do we want that story to be, well, he didn't know the price on that concrete, but he told me he'd get it to me in a day, and he did. That yeah. is a great story. You yeah. know, the the terrible story would be, well, he told me it was gonna be fifty thousand dollars, and said he'd get an estimate for me, and then I never heard from him again. That is a terrible story. You know, yeah. that's all kinds of wrong. <laughs> so, okay, you're working with how many people are at Urban Nest? What's how how big is this particular? Oh, that's a good
2: question. I, I want to say it's between forty and fifty, maybe a little bit over fifty agents at the office. I, since I joined, it was in the middle of COVID, so I haven't really. Even
1: met hardly anybody. We've done a lot yeah. of Zoom meetings, but I've hardly face to face met anybody. When you're getting into real estate, you've got this big choice. You're like, am I going to go with like the really big office, the big name here in town, or am I going to go boutique and go with a smaller office? What was your decision making process b- behind going with you went with Fink, which is also a, a little tiny company, yeah, um, and then Urban Nest, a little tiny company? What was the difference between that, or like going with a Remax or a John L. Scott or a Keller Williams or a Windermere? Yeah. Like, what? How did you decide?
2: Yeah, I, I think those bigger off Offices were a little more intimidating to me in terms of there's so much focused on who's the top seller and who's doing what and who's selling this much and who's ranking where and I know that's really important to a lot of realtors but I, I could give a damn to be honest with you I just I just keep moving forward and to help whoever needs help that was a little bit like I didn't want that as much first and then I got a referral to, for the company uh, through a good friend of mine Claire Burns who who referred me over to Urban Nest she'd been working there and I got to meet with Holly and Rachel and Karen uh, over Zoom and I had a very instant connection with them. They were super cool. They were super genuine. They were real. I liked the way they presented the company. I liked what the company provided. They hire a lot of people that are local too. And that really Mm -hmm. spoke to me. And I, I, you know, Think was kind of like that too. So when you talk about having a a local flavor and and a
1: smaller company to grow into, that really appealed to me. I was on board after I met with them. So as a native Portlander, when you say local, how long does somebody have to live here before they're local? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a good question. I've been asked that before. I, I usually, say like
2: I mean there's not a number on it but around 10 years or so but once you've really been here and you've you've contributed in some way you've paid your taxes you've helped you've worked you've you've helped feed the, the economy a little bit you know what I mean you've you've eaten some good food I, I think once you once you've really experienced Portland for long enough maybe that's only six seven years to some people but if I had to put a number on it I'd say 10 years or so and then i'll I'll, I'll give you the local badge.
1: Nicole Durkin, our producer is local as is, is native as well and she is nice. emphatic shaking your head to the 10 number. So I yep. think you're spot on there. Okay, all right, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, at 13, so I think I'm in, I'm you're in. You're in, you are I'm, in. You get, you get the too. badge, you qualify. It. It's amazing, like, as Portlanders, there is a lot of emphasis placed on, like, are you from here? Like, do you know how to pronounce, is it cooch or is it couch? That is such a dead giveaway. Like, I don't know, I think it's on Couch Street. You're like, ah, oh, are you laughing at me? You know, like, oh, yeah. it's not how it's is pronounced. It, is it Willamette or is it Willamette? Yes. It's Willamette, damn it. Yeah, I know, Willamette, damn it, exactly. Exactly. Come on now. <laughs> the one I had the hardest time with was The Dolls. The, is it The Dales? Is it The Dales? or The Dolls? I don't know. Like, oh, Dolls! <laughs> took me Dals. a long time. Yes, yes. Draw that out. <laughs> the Dolls. Oh, the Dolls. When you're working on a deal, when does the deal come first, and when does your relationship with the client come first? Because sometimes we got to say hard shit to people, and there's a risk of like, as real estate agents, your whole sphere is coming from like people you know, and maybe Maybe it's your cousin, or it's your, your best friend from kindergarten, and if you tell them that their bathroom is ugly, like, how do you balance that? When does the relationship come first, yeah. when does the deal come first? I think about that a
2: lot, and I think that, for me, I'd love to say the relationship always comes first, right? You're always It's a relationship always, always a relationship, there will always be another deal, there will always be another opportunity, there will always be something else, but that's not true, and you're really doing a disservice to your, your client if you only take the relationship serious, because the deal has, there are things you can do right and things you can do wrong. And if If they are doing things wrong and it's a detriment to them, they can lose money. They can lose negotiation position. They, they could buy a house that has serious issues. It's going to cost them tons of money and resale value and things in the future. And there, there are so many factors to consider that can seriously hurt someone in the long term when you have to be like, shut the fuck up. Like, you need to listen right now. Sorry for the swearing again, but I'm just saying like, it's- it, you, I fucking love it, man. As far as you want. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I've, I've worked with some of my best friends in the world. I've worked with my family uh, and I've had those, you know, moments where we've had to be like, like, okay. Yo, you're asking for too much right now. Like, stop. Or hey, like these people have offered enough. Like, you need to get you we need to we need to get back on to getting this done and stop getting off. You're trying to win uh, the negotiation. My brother, for example, being an attorney, always trying to win that negotiation.
0: <laughs> and you're like,
2: his job
1: is to win. Yeah, his job is yes. to win. Yeah, and we <laughs> yeah. forget
2: that there's a personal ass side to this. And for example, you could be in a you could be in a deal where the buyer wants too much from the seller, and then they get in a bad negotiation, and there, there's a sour taste in their mouth, and then the sellers a real dick to the the buyer. You won't talk to him, won't give him any information or whatever. And then guess what? Once you move out of your house and then the buyer moves in, your Amazon packages start getting delivered (laughs) to your house and you need to have (laughs) those sent to your new address. And guess what? You totally (sighs) fucked that relationship up and maybe you just gave somebody else, you know, a new TV or something like that. I know from experience, I had a great relationship with the seller of my house. He's awesome, but he's had about six Amazon packages come to my house, which I have sent, had him come pick all of them up. But I'm just saying, like, I could see it going the other way. I've seen it go the other way.
0: Have you ever had the conversation where like somebody comes to you and is like, Hey, I think I want to work with you, but I'm not sure. Like, how do you manage sort of that? The, the person who feels like nervous working with you because of that other relationship? What do you mm, say to that? Yeah. I'm
1: afraid of
2: the conflict yeah, of interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a good question. I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I, I haven't had that exact situation uh-huh. come up. I have had people that have, I've been referred to or that I've met with that mm-hmm. I've turned down. And I've been like, nah, I, I've, t- for whatever, I, I've told them I can't work with them for yeah. because it's just not what I do or that's not a good fit for me. And I've referred them to somebody else. Yeah. But that's been the hardest part.
0: Can you speak to that a little bit? like?
2: Uh, I mean, for example, uh, I've met with with, with sellers where the, they're divorcing or there's a really big issue between the two and you have to work with both of them. It's like, I'm going to be your marriage counselor in this whole transaction. There are times when I'll do that. And there are times when I've worked with sellers that are upset with each other, but you know, it's just part of, that's part of the business. But there are times when you just have to make the read and make the call and be like, these two people. People are not going to get along right and there's too much riding on this and yeah. they haven't fixed their issues enough to work together. That's just one example but or you know maybe yeah. with someone that's just too indecisive and really isn't going to make the decisions when they need to and you're just going to end up pulling your hair out and wasting your time and spending money. I try to differentiate from that but I haven't necessarily had someone come to me that's been worried about our relationship. Yeah. I, I'm always like confident that I'll, we'll make
1: it work. That's so awesome. That says a lot. Somebody out there right now is listening to this podcast and they are saying to themselves I just found my niche and their niche is going to be working with divorcing couples and they're going to tell every single real estate agent out there like when you have a nasty fighting divorcing couple you bring them to me because i am the specialist i have the formula on how to make this work there's a lot of it (laughs) yeah that's not a bad (laughs) niche to get into i remember one of the most difficult transactions that we had this is our, our somber moment this is when the music and the podcast gets really slow and quiet one of the saddest situations that we had we had walked through a house they were showing us the house. They brought us to one of the rooms. And every room that we had walked into, the wife had walked in first, the husband had walked in second. And they had kind of, then we walked in third and they kind of explained to us. We came to this one room and neither the husband nor the wife walked in. The room was pink and there was a bunk bed with a slide on it. And they kind of pointed to it and they said, this is... bedroom and i was like okay whose bedroom is this and they're like this is our daughter's bedroom and she died last year their daughter had died they were going through the divorce they were selling the house and you could tell that it it wasn't that these people didn't like each other anymore it's that they could no longer emotionally be together because of that death and so they were doing like all three of these things (sighs) and i mean you could just you could feel the hurt in them they were not mad they were just hurt yeah and those are the things that you guys are dealing with on a daily basis. When you say that you're a therapist for somebody, these people aren't crazy because they want to be crazy. They're crazy because they're going through a lot yeah. right now. And so as real estate agents, we really have to be just so compassionate and try to understand what they're feeling so that we can help them make the best decisions that they're making. Be, be reticent of who you are as an agent and what you're capable of handling because we're all different and we all have different things we can and can't do. That was one of my roughest days as a home stager. Tell us about your worst day in real estate.
2: I, I did recently have a situation that was really embarrassing. Uh, it's such a rookie move on my part. I was selling a house and I, I had a seller that had had some furniture in the house that he had had staged by his grandmother. Uh, she, I guess, had some leftover furniture and or does staging. It wasn't very clear, but he had it in the house. It looked fine. I said, all right, we can probably get it sold if we price it right. We, we crushed it. We got, you know, 13 offers on it in a few days. It sold well over asking. Uh, we had a pretty, pretty simple negotiation, got all the way through. He Came back in state specifically to move all the furniture out of the house, so I'm anticipating that's what's going to be happening. I get a text message from my seller that, telling me that everything is out of the house except for like a water bottle and a lamp and maybe one other item. I say, "All right, great. I'll, when I come get the lockbox, I'll have the seller leave that outside. No worries." Now, what a good experienced agent does is he goes to the or he or she or whoever goes to their their listing and they walk through it, make sure it's great before handoff, <laughs> clean enough. There's no you know people living in there. There's There's no holes in the wall. There's no, you know, rats coming out of the ceiling, nothing crazy. Uh, I took the, I'll listen to my client and be lazy uh, and not drive out to a Loa stance. Uh, So then when closing day happened, I got a call from the buyer's agent that said that there was all kinds of furniture all over the house when she came back couch, chair, patio, table. There was the the dishwasher was full of dishes. There was stuff in the fridge. There was art pieces hanging up and cabinets and all kinds of stuff just everywhere. and it was so embarrassing. Oh, I'm just imagining what this these people moving into their new house for the first time, expecting it to be nice and clean and seeing all this stuff just sitting in <laughs> oh. there. that's supposed to be gone.
1: But grandma's home staging sounds so lovely to start off with. You know, like I've just been visiting, like oh. doilies
2: everywhere. So, okay, okay. Grandma had a really big, heavy couch that she fit into a very narrow entryway as well. So (laughs) How'd you find that out? (laughs) great question. So I vehemently apologized. I made plans with uh, my brother. We got a U-Haul and we drove out there a few days later and we moved everything out of the house. And I I gave them a nice gift card and I gave to to dinner and I gave the agent a nice gift card. Sent many apologies to them. Uh, I never heard back, so they're probably still mad about it. And I get it. I would be too. But that was a really embarrassing moment of my real estate career. It was a Friday. You know, it's a great day. Everything's great. And then I get bomb dropped on me at like Friday at <laughs> 4 p.m. Yeah. You know, yep. Here you go. Uh, you're you totally messed this up before you get over here and fix it. And, you know, I obviously I could just said, well, that's my client's job to get that stuff out. It's his property. Here's his yeah. phone number. Go talk to him. But uh, that gives you a bad reputation in this business when you do things like that. Yes. And we yes. don't want that. And I, I also just felt horrible because I'm like, it's definitely my fault, not his fault. He doesn't know, you know, even though he did know. But it's my reputation. No one's buying a house from him. You know, yeah. and, and, and I, I s- like the agent we worked with, she was awesome, you know, so I didn't want to ruin that, so
1: yeah, no. Everybody <laughs> makes mistakes, and what yeah. separates the good people from the bad people is how we deal with our mistakes. Yes. And when there are people that are around us, whatever also separates the good people from the bad people is how we treat people around us when they make mistakes. Oh my gosh. Are we gracious, yeah. do we have understanding, yep. do we talk to them, or do we hold a grudge forever? And yeah. you know, I was in a meeting yesterday, they were asking us like, what's your favorite idiom or your favorite expression? And they came to me and my favorite expression is, I'm fresh out of time machines. And that came (laughs) from when I screw up and somebody comes to me and they say, you screwed up. And I say, I'm really sorry. I will not do that again in the future. And they reply back to me, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. (sighs) Fuck. Well, I'm fresh out of fucking time machines. Yeah. Man. Right. Can I <laughs> yeah. go back and undo that. And I wish that I could. And I gotta tell you, when you use that expression, nobody likes it. No. <laughs> it does it's, not make the situation not any better. D stage thing was a rookie mistake, but I've been in this business for thirteen years now. And this year we had a D stage appointment on our calendar. And with Google Calendar or with any other type of electronic calendar, you can pick up an appointment and move it somewhere else accidentally. Oh. And we had that happen, of course on a Friday and I got a phone call at 4 p.m. And we had left almost 5,000 square feet of staging in a house that was closed and they were moving in the next day and Nightmare. so I got a panicked phone call from a real estate agent. I called my all of my employees. It's 4 o'clock so everybody is gone. We actually only stall Monday through Thursday so this is a Friday. I called everybody. Everybody's like at the beach. It's not that they won't come into work because they can't come into work. So I called my best friend in the world, Joff Metz who composed the music for this podcast. He canceled his dinner plans oh. with his girlfriend and came and helped us on sea My wow. husband rented a truck because our trucks were full at the time. I asked my 64-year-old husband and I asked My 16 year old son, can you call some of your friends? My son recruited two more 16 year olds. And so, with three old men and three 16 year olds and two rental trucks from U Haul, we drove out there and we de staged until about one o'clock in the morning. We got all the stuff out of the house. I sent flowers and a massage to the real estate agent and to the seller. The seller said, You shouldn't have done it in the first place. The real estate agent was like, You guys are the best. We will use you forever. Yeah. That's the difference. That's the difference, man.
0: Yeah. Someone said to me pretty early, I think I shared this story at some point on the podcast. I forgot to attach a really, really important addendum to our offer, and I am. It was like the first months of my being in business, and I'm making an offer for friends, and it's like felt super stressed. And the agent on the other end was just like, "Hey, we're all human," and I was like, "Oh my god." You are. I mean, and so I've tried to adopt that. I've just tried to like, because we're all on the other end of people's fuck ups all the time, and the ability to say, "Oh, hey, don't worry about it. Just get it to us." Like it, it, we're all human.
1: Put good energy out there, and good things will happen. No, I agree. If COVID taught us anything, it's that we all need just a little bit of grace every once in a while. I mean, it's been one of our core values since the day we opened our shop has been grace. Our four core values are graceful, adept, tenacious, and thoughtful. Those are the four yeah. things that my company does over and over and over again. And grace has been the one that's been there since day one. Yeah. And I will fully admit, and Nicole will agree with me, I am not the most graceful person all the time, but I work on it constantly. I try so hard to be graceful. And grace is one of those things that like, when everything is good, grace is really easy. <laughs> it's when the shit hits the fan yeah. that grace becomes so difficult to grasp onto. And so as we move forward, I guess all we week, remember is that when somebody else screws up and leaves all their furniture in our house that our clients are supposed to be moving into that we can be like it's all good man we'll take care of it we'll we'll take care of you just remember that when i screw up with you you're gonna forgive me just like i'm forgiving you right now
2: (laughs) yeah i'm gonna tell you right now i think every single adult and high schooler even i want to say junior adult should have to referee grade school and middle school basketball games for one summer. Tell us
1: why. And Tell you will why. learn,
2: you will learn <laughs> what it's like to get yelled at, harassed, treated oh. horribly by parents? oh, the parents are the most merciless yes. people at AAU oh. basketball games in the gym when your fourth grader goes up for a layup and falls on the ground, even if they didn't get touched. I've seen aunts, uncles, moms, dads, <laughs> brothers, the sisters. They'll run onto the court, freaking out, screaming, yelling, and you have to deal with that. Uh, as um. a referee, Referees, I, I, I don't ref anymore because of that experience. It's so unrealistic and crazy, and I'm like, I think everyone should have to do it, or bus tables or something, just to learn oh, yeah. that. You'll learn where that humility comes from and why like it's why you say thank you every time someone pours water for you it takes your plate things like that you know like
1: absolute best day in real estate
2: oh uh yeah much better experience much better experience it was the day that uh my brother closed on his house we had a very long home buying search it was a lot of more education for for him to find out what he wanted you know and and his lady and and they looked for i want to say about five six months kind of in the irvington alameda Beaumont, Wilshire, Grant Park, where we grew up. Like that's where my brother always wanted to be in life. He has been living downtown uh, in a condo. Uh, he has a a condo in the Marshall Wells Building, which is great for him to go to work. His office is downtown, and he's been there for about seven, eight years. But it was time for him. You know, he was going to have a kid, and he's always mm-hmm. wanted to have a kid. And it was the first mm-hmm. kid uh, in my immediate family. You know, he's the eldest, and so it was really important that we found a great house with a yard and just was perfect for what they needed. And he really wanted that east side Portland, you know, old classic craftsman. But his thing is he didn't want really a really old house. He wanted something Ooh. more modern because my brother is far from a handyman <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, he just there's all these little things with older houses you got to deal with and he wanted something more modern and there almost aren't any modern homes in those neighborhoods. And if you do find one, it's, you know, 1.4, or 1.5 million. He didn't want to spend that much. You know, he wanted to stay under a mill if he could. So we opened our search up. You know, I told him, hey, let's look at some other neighborhoods where you're going to get some better value and find homes that'll fit your search better after looking diligently for a while. And, uh, we looked in Overlook and we found a great house. It had been on the market for a little bit, but it was beautiful. It was craftsman style. It was modern and it was built in 2015. It was built by a dad and his son for the son to kind of raise his family in. Due to some life circumstances, they decided to move out to the country. So they were selling their house after about five, six years, but it was just a beautiful house. Um, and we got it and we, we closed on it and he was just so happy to finally have a house. And I know Amanda was super happy to get the house and then they now they've had their baby and the Aww. baby's beautiful and they're <laughs> super happy and they have their crib, everything's all set up
0: in the house. And, and your Uncle Michael.
2: Yeah, it was like a really, really, really great moment. And to like bring my brother back to the east side a little bit and find him a really great house and, and make that work. it was like one of the first days we opened our search up. I was like, Jason, look at this house. And he was like, oh, that's what I'm talking about. And so we went and checked it out and the rest was history.
1: Michael Cafori is an agent here in Portland, Oregon. He's with Urban Nest Realty. Michael, where's the best place for folks to find you on the internet? So
2: you can find me at my website. It's www.pdxhomepage.com. You can do home searches there. Search your home for an evaluation. Uh, provide your own search, set yourself up, look for homes if you want. Contact me through it as well. My cell phone number 503 490 0344. I'm always around, so you know, reach out to me, call or text, and then my email is michael at urbannestpdx.com. M
1: I C H A E L. Amy, right? what's the best place for folks to find you?
0: Uh, probably just amyromberg.com.
1: Fantastic, and you can always find us at spadethestarcher.com. Our music is written and composed by Joff Metz. You can find it at fivestarsguitars.com. Our producer producer. producer is Nicole Durkin. Our editor is Richie. Richie, you always do such a fantastic (laughs) job making us sound so intelligent. Uh, I'd love to say thank you so much to all the folks who have reached out that had a story to tell us about their lives. If you've got a story that you want to tell us, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next time. Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home standard.